Good to see you guys this morning. My name is Donnie Tapey. For those of you who may not know me, uh, I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here on staff, uh, and I love this church body. So thankful to see each and every one of your faces this morning. So if you don't know my family, I have a, a wife named Meredith. She is an incredible woman of God. And there is Adelaide. She's my four-year-old daughter. She's awesome. Uh, she is kind and caring and has so much joy in her heart. I love the joy that she brings to our family. And then Lachlan, uh, he's a smiler. I love it. Every, every day he smiles at me. It's, it's, it's the best feeling. Uh, he is my little one-year-old mighty man of God. So that's my family. And for those of you who may not also realize, our, uh, one of our early childhood directors, Nancy Eisenberg, she's actually my mother-in-law. So we got some family up in this church, literally. So it's great. We love it. Uh, they're awesome. My in-laws, David and Nancy, they're amazing. I have the best in-laws in the world. If you don't know them, please get to know them at some point. So it's so good to be with you guys this morning. Um, so, you know, it's Christmas, right? Or it's Christmas season. Who, for, for, who here is Christmas like your favorite holiday? Yeah? Yeah, I'm right. Come on. All right. I'm right there with you. So I love everything about Christmas. You know, I love the lights everywhere on the businesses. You know, I love that it's cold outside. You a little cup of cocoa and cozy up by the fire. We don't even have a fire, but, you know, you cozy up somewhere. And, you know, and you, all these different things are going on. You're thinking about all your friends and how to bless them, how to love on people. Uh, you know, and you're, you're walking around, there's Christmas music playing everywhere, even in North Park Mall, you know, they're singing about Jesus. I love Christmas, and I, I also love our Christmas tree. You know, I love the ambiance in our home, plugging in, it just, just feels so at peace. And we, for us in our home, it's go real or go home. We don't have a fake tree, thank you, come on, come on. We do a real tree, no judgment, well, maybe a little bit of judgment, but not a whole lot of judgment on those of you who do fake, but... So this year, so our, our kind of tradition is, you know, we go up to Home Depot, this whole Christmas tradition, I love it. We go to Home Depot, well, Home Depot is not that Christmassy, but we go up to Home Depot, we bring the whole fam, kids come, we get the tree, we throw it on top of the car, you know, on our way home, you know, we stop at Trader Joe's to get some cocoa, and you kind of forget that there's a tree on the top of your car, you know? Uh, and then we're driving home, and we get, get to our house, and pull in the carport, just going a bit too fast, and you hear a <laughs> And you realize that you just scraped the paint off the top of your car with your Christmas tree. And you go, but that's okay. It's Christmas. It is Christmas. And you go, that's all right, you know. It's just a material possession that I spent thousands of dollars for. But that's okay. Okay, it's Christmas. So you get the tree inside. You finally get it in the stand. And you believe, you believed as you were tightening those screws that make your fingers ache that it was straight. And then you get up and you look at it and it's never straight. And then you start, you go, that's okay, it's Christmas. Natural trees are crooked too sometimes. And then you get your lights out and you start stringing them around the tree. And then you realize that seven-eighths into the way of doing this, you didn't check and test your lights like you do every year before. And so you go trembling, <laughs> praying to the God of miracles as you go over to the outlet, as you plug it in, keeping your eyes closed, and then you, and nothing. Not a single bulb. And you, and you spend 30 minutes checking bulbs in that fruitless effort. And then you just you undo what you did in 10 minutes. Or you, or you undo in 10 minutes what you did in 45 minutes. And you run up to Home Depot to get new lights. First Home Depot. Lowe's. Second Home Depot. Finally, they've got them. You get them. Get up to the counter. You're like, my Christmas nightmare is over. 
and you forgot your wallet at home. And they don't take Apple Pay. And it's, I started out telling you about what I like about Christmas, right? That's, that's how I started. So, guess what movie we're talking about today? How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And in light of that story I just told you, it felt like the right choice for me. What do you say? So, it seemed like the appropriate choice when I was asking the Lord what I should speak on. So, you know, it, it amazes me, though, in all seriousness, the things that I allow to steal my joy, to steal my Christmas joy. You know, Christmas is supposed to be this joyous time of year that we remember and celebrate what's most important and that we remember and celebrate what Christ did, the amazing truth of what Christ accomplished when he came into the world and what he did. But sometimes I allow my joy to be stolen from me from really small things. And, and honestly, though, the, the, my, my biggest worries are not from the small things. They're from some really big things, things much harder than burnt out bulbs. The, the difficult family or relational dynamics that Zach mentioned that we prayed for or the overwhelming consumerism that we're faced with at every single turn everywhere we go, or simply just being con overly concerned with my own agenda or expectations. There's, so, so today, for us, knowing what's ahead, the, how the Grinch stole Christmas is gonna work really well for us, and I believe it's really gonna help us out. So this movie also happens to be one of my family's favorite movies. Well. Before, actually, I got married, uh, I had never even heard of the, of, well, I had heard of it, but I had never seen it before, the movie. But Meredith's family, they love it. They watch it every year. They quote lines from it and all that stuff. So we, uh, so it's something we, we, we do every year. So if you've never seen it, I'm going to give you a little bit of history and then a super fast summary, just so you have the context of the movie and understand if you've never seen it before. So you probably know it's one of Dr. Seuss's creations, but you may not know the original cartoon version was a 1966 animated television special. So it aired on TV. Most of you have probably seen that original version, uh, depending on your age, maybe. So all the millennials were like, it's a cartoon? So uh, the, the, the plot line of the original cartoon is fairly simple, though. The Grinch lives in a cave atop Mount Crumpet and located above the village of Whoville. The Grinch is a grumpy and unhappy character with a heart that two sizes too small. That's right. You guys have seen it. Uh, and he has especially hated Christmas for how many years? 53 years. Fun fact. So... And on Christmas Eve, he finally becomes fed up with Christmas, decides to disguise himself as Santa Claus and steal Christmas. And how is he going to steal Christmas? Well, he makes this comic descent down Mount Crumpet into Whoville, and he proceeds to take all the decorations, trees, presents, stockings, everything. And he brings all this back up to Mount Crumpet in order to dump it off a cliff and get the satisfaction of destroying their Christmas. But he stops for a second as Whoville wakes up to listen for a sad cry so he can get the satisfaction of knowing that he stole their Christmas. But you know what happens. The Who's joyously begin to sing Christmas carols and rejoice. And that's when, it, when he gets it. He begins to realize maybe Christmas, this is what he says is maybe Christmas doesn't come from a store. Perhaps Christmas means a little bit more. And as the Grinch realizes the true meaning, he barely does so in time to stop the sleigh from sliding off the cliff. And when he does that, his heart grows three sizes and he gains the strength of 10 Grinches plus, yeah, there we go, Steve. <laughs> Steve is a Grinch connoisseur, I love it. 
so, uh, so he, and then he brings everything back to the Who's and brings it back to them. The version released in 2000 with Jim Carrey is basically the same plot line, except it's Hollywood embellished a little bit more. So there's uh, flashbacks to the Grinch when he's a child, which we're about to see in a moment. Um, And then there's other scenes where the uh, majority of the Who's are shown to be very consumeristic, which in the original cartoon, they didn't really really imply that. They were kind of pure and, and untouchable. So a great and classic story, though. We just watched it, you know, this weekend as I prepped for this, as you might imagine, with a notepad, which I've never done while watching The Grinch. It felt kind of funny. So um, talking about this movie and about someone trying to steal Christmas in some way, what do I want to accomplish this morning with you? There's a lot of different ways we could go. There are a thousand different things, people, and circumstances in your life that would and could steal your joy in your Christmas this year. And so this morning, looking at the Grinch, I see three areas, three really important areas that we can draw out of the movie and then apply to our lives. And I want to see what Jesus has to say about each of these three areas. Does that make sense? So we're talking about the Grinch, but we're really about Jesus this morning. And we really want to hear what he has to say to us this morning. So those three areas are lies about our identity, they're up here, and God's character, the value we place on possessions, and our desires and our expectations. Three areas that we struggle with big time. So I don't just want to tell you this morning three areas that you struggle with and then be like, have a Merry Christmas, you know? <laughs> be, be kind of cruel. You're like, I already know that, Donnie. I already know and feel my own struggles. So my deep desire this morning is to minister to you first uh, and then to equip you for the work of the ministry. Do you know that here this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, that you are a minister of the gospel? Do you know that? It's okay to talk back this morning. I want some of it. Do you know that? Yeah. Do you know that, man, you, you have this calling on your life to minister to the people that are in the places and circumstances that are around you, every single one of you. So my job this morning is to equip the saints, that's you, for the work of the ministry. That's all the spheres of influence that you're going to go into in your life this, this season and all next year for the rest of your life. So... Um, because I want to equip you um, with each of these three areas, you'll see a little space that's practice, practice, practice. I have a practice that I want you to do for the next 21 days or so until Christmas or until the new year. And each one of these practices is, is a way to help you grow and be more like Jesus. So this isn't, you're like, oh, great. It's a list sermon. You know, Donnie's giving me a list of things to do. No, that is not what I'm doing. It's, it's so easy to see the practices and think, oh man, it's just more things to do, more things that I can be legalistic with. No, like that's why we talk about practicing the way of Jesus together in Dallas. Jesus said that a man who, who, who hears Jesus' words and then doesn't put them into practice is that you're like someone who looks in a mirror and then goes away and immediately forgets what he looked like. We don't wanna be like that. We wanna be people who take the words of God and what he's doing and practice them. And when we practice the way of Jesus, we literally model his character and who he is. And that's awesome. Because that's what we want. We begin to be formed into his image. Amen? All right. So that's why we're going to have some practicals that you can actually do. And they're so simple and easy. They're tried and true by saints throughout history and in my own life. And they work and they begin to form our hearts. So we're going to jump right in. Lies about our identity and God's character. So to introduce this, let's watch a clip from the movie. And this is a flashback to when the Grinch was young and before he hated Christmas. 
All right, as funny as that clip is, and as ridiculous as it is, uh, you know, what, what happens to the Grinch? He gets wounded by something or someone, and then exclaims, I hate Christmas, and throws the tree, which I was about to do in my story, throw the tree. Then isolates himself. He goes and he isolates himself in a cave for the next 53 years, despising Christmas. But does the Grinch really hate Christmas, I would ask? Or is that just a symptom of what's going on inside of him? You know, what he now believes is true about the world and about himself. I would argue that what he really hates is feeling rejection, feeling unlovable, <laughs> sorry, feeling ostracized. I've got a picture of the Grinch in my head and I'm starting to feel bad for him. Um, feeling cast out, feeling belittled, feeling hated. You know, and every, if we apply this to ourselves now, every one of us, every one of those feelings speaks a lie about who we are, and about who God is. The wounds that we receive from others and the lies in our culture that we may believe about God, man, they speak something to us about who we are and who God is. We can't avoid that. What you believe, you will become. Do you believe that? What you believe shapes who you become. And I would argue, uh, and, then, and then this morning, that how does that affect us and how do we operate in the world? You know, for the Grinch, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, he felt all those things, believed they were true about him, and then lived in such a way that they became true. He became an outcast, unlovable, ornery, unpleasant. And not only that, but he became the very things uh, that the people were who wounded him. He became cynical and mean and hateful and full of anger. You know, does that... Does that process not sound familiar in any of our hearts? That we get a wound and that we sometimes tend to act and behave trying to disprove that lie or, or just acting into that lie. Just like the Grinch, I'm unlovable, so therefore I'm gonna go isolate myself and be alone. Or I feel unlovable and therefore I'm gonna work really hard to buy love from everybody and get approval from others. Do you see what I'm saying? Are you with me this morning? Okay. So the, uh, you know, I bet every one of us can see in some way that in ourselves or in a family member maybe that we're about to see this Christmas. And, and that story I told you about my experience with the Christmas tree, you know, almost immediately after I had repented of my really bad attitude, and I'm, I probably embellished my anger a little bit, but I was definitely in my head. I was like, if you saw me, I would have been like, hey, how you doing? You know, it would have been like, inside of me, I was boiling. And so when I, when I finally calmed down, I realized, so silly, I repented from my heart, I was trying to move on. Just this like wave came over me of this deep, like, it wasn't even like I heard something, it was like this feeling that communicated something. And it said, Donna, you're a, you're a pastor? And you let that get to you? You talk about maturity with other people? Look at yourself. You, you should be way farther than you are. Or, or more vulnerable for me is with my daughter and with my wife. And when I really dropped the ball somehow on something big, because I didn't have a dad growing up to, to model that, what it's like, and what a good husband is, what a good father is. And so when I really dropped the ball, man... Satan in my own flesh just takes advantage of that. He pounces on it. And I begin to hear these lies about who I am. That Donna, you're, you're never going to make it as a father. You're going to destroy her. 
When you, last time you lost your temper, man, she's going to remember that. Or whatever it may be. You know, the, 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 the lies we hear are innumerable. And it's this deep feeling. And for me personally, man, I, I could just begin to spiral emotionally, get lie after lie. Does that, can anyone relate to me in that in here? And, it, and if you can't, maybe yours is the opposite. Maybe you feel that lie and you desperately try to disprove it. I will not be that way. And so you try and try and try to be your best and you're seeking the approval of men and working hard at your job. And before you know it, your life has just been spent on material things and goods or whatever it may be. The lies that we hear are clever and they're designed to pull us away from the truth of God. So, that, so today, what is, that, what is the joy being stolen? What is the joy of Christmas, the truth about Christmas that gets stolen from us when we, when we don't focus on what, on what its true meaning is. You know, what's the answer to that accusation that I feel in my own heart? So let's see what the word of God, what scripture has to say about what he's done for us and who he is. Um, and then we're gonna be amazed by that. So John three sixteen through 17 says this. It says, for God so loved the world, and you've read this before, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And we often pause right there. If, if that's not amazing enough, it, he begins and goes on and says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Did you know that? The times when you hear or feel condemnation, that's not for you if you're in Jesus. Do you know that? Jesus didn't come to condemn you. He came to set you free. He, come to, he came to set us free. And the lies that we hear each and every day, what are they always doing? They're condemning every time. It's, it's amazing to me. We have this, that Jesus sets us free and then our own, our own flesh or Satan begins to try to attack us and push us back and convince us that we are condemned when God has set us free. They're condemning me. They're, they're either my own self or, 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 or Satan speaking these, to me, these things to me. And the beauty of what Jesus did on the cross, y'all, like he lived a perfect life, obedient to God in every single way, not a hint of sin or rebellion in his life, not a hint of, 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 of pushing God away and of doing it his own way and saying, God, I know better, not a hint of that. Even though he was tempted just as I am and in every way, shape, and form, he performed this righteousness, this obedience to God that I could never do in my entire life and that you could never do. And then he went to the cross willingly, out of love, to, to give himself as a sacrifice, to pay for the sins that I've done and that you've done. And then he was raised from the dead. Like this is the gospel. That's why we're here this morning. We're here because God is good and because he saved us and the way that he saved us is incredible. Do you believe that this morning? I'm not sure. Do you believe it this morning? That's right. Come on. God is good. He's so good. And he wants you to know more of his goodness. And the lies that we experience, they just steal joy. And, and they're not true. That's what I want you to feel. I want you to feel the weight of it this morning. Because I feel the weight of it in my own life. And if you need it spelled out even more for you, which I often do, man, Ephesians 2, 4 through 9 is an incredible passage to commit to memory because it speaks to you about who God is and it speaks to you about the truth of how you're saved. It says, but God, being rich in mercy, so what is God like? He's rich in mercy. 
and because of the great love with which he loved us. What kind of loves he loved us with? It's a great love. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, and it says in Romans 5, even when we were enemies of God, he made us alive together with Christ. And then he just drops it in there because he knows we need it. He says, by grace, you have been saved through faith. I'm sorry, he says, by grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches. What kind of riches? Immeasurable. What does immeasurable mean? It means you can't measure them. <laughs> you know, it means you can't, they're so big. The immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by, and he says it again because he knows we need to hear it because we're gonna to try to earn it at some point. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. What does grace mean in this passage? It means the free and unmerited favor of God. Free and unmerited favor of God. What's the favor of God? It means the love of God. And unmerited means you don't deserve it. Free means you didn't earn it. That's how we're saved in Jesus. And God did it that way so you can't boast. So that the lies that you hear that tell you that you need to earn God's love or that you need to earn your own salvation are not effective. Does that make sense? All right. So, and those are just two scriptures. This reality of the gospel oozes off of every page in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's spoken of and prophesied about. And the longer I live, the more I understand why. It's everywhere in the gospel. And it's because I need to hear it. And I've got a heart that's so prone to pridefulness, that it's so prone to want to prove to God that I don't need him. Or, that, or to prove to God that y'all, like, I'll, I'll pay him back for that gift. And he's like, it's wrapped right here. It's this gift. And I keep trying to give him my, my works or my money or whatever it is for it. So even though I have this evidence of every day of my life, I desperately need it to be a gift. I keep trying to pay him for it. So Jesus, what do we need to do? This morning, I want Jesus to speak into your life. So Jesus, this morning, what do we need to do? Holy Spirit, help us. And he does in John 8, 31. He says, so Jesus, so Jesus is speaking to, to this group of Jews who had believed in him. And he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That is Jesus's formula, if he has one, for how you're set free from sin and set free and how you know the truth. So we need to abide in his word so that we'll know the truth and then the truth will set us free from sin. So Jesus even says a few verses after that, he says, anyone who practices sin, excuse me, is a slave to sin. So we need to be set free from slavery to sin. Amen? Amen. Okay. So that language is odd to me at first, slavery to sin. Um, you know, but it also resonates with me. You know, if, if, we're, if we're honest with ourselves, no one sins out of obligation. You know, no one's like, it's 730, I'm going to be late. But I promised I would insult Bob. So, Bob. You're ugly and your pants are too short. You know, no one, no one does that. No one sins out of obligation or go, you know, it's been three weeks since I've lusted. I want to be a man of my word and I'm going to lust. You know, no one, no one does that. No one sins out of obligation. There's this deep, deep, like almost the core of you feeling to do good and you want to do the good and you want to obey God and you feel it pulling you there most of the time. 
And then there's this surface desire over here that kind of comes over and above that, and it's in the moment, and it feels so powerful sometimes. And it's pulling us the other way. It's like I'm, I'm this divided man, and I, don't, I do the very things I don't want to do. Like God, like wretched man that I am. It's what Paul says. Who will save me from this body of death? He says, thanks be to God for Christ Jesus, our Lord. So when so he speaks truth, the truth of the gospel is what sets us free from that. And that's what's amazing. So if we see that when we abide or remain in Jesus' words, we'll know the truth and the truth will set us free. How does the truth set us free again? We've been, we've been talking for a while. That's right. We go back to the Grinch and we see he's wounded and he lives out of a wound of some sort or he's heard some sort of lie and believes it and then lives out of that lie. What you believe, you will become. Do you hear that this morning? Our beliefs shape our behaviors. It shapes what we speak. It shapes everything about us. And if you believe God doesn't love you or he doesn't care about you, it will be reflected in your life. Or if you believe he's mean or if you believe whatever it may be, the myriad of things we need to come. This isn't scripture. It's my my computer. But if we need to come to the scriptures and we need to believe what God has to say. Amen? All right. So if we see that we need to know the truth, as that was our longest point, the others will be shorter, so don't worry. So if we see that we need to know the truth, what's our practice coming out of this? So up in Feely, you know, feel good land, thought land, we're going to come down to the practical. What do you need to know? How do you need to do this? What's our practice? It's abide in Jesus' words. So from now until January 1st, challenge you, encourage you to go longer, but to spend 15 to 30 minutes a day. That's it. Simple. If you want to go longer, praise God. Spend 15 to 30 minutes abiding in Jesus' words, meditating, reading, spending time swimming in Scripture, looking for what it says about who God is, about what, what Jesus has done for you, and about who you are in Jesus. So you can do your own thing, or we have a 21-day Advent devotional, bewithjesus.me, that will give you a plan so it's ready to go. And if you're the type that doesn't want to start because we're already a few days into Advent, don't be legalistic, just jump in. And if you're the type that three days in, you miss one, and you're like, man, God's disappointed with me. Lie. Do you see how it happens? We, we, we set goals for ourselves, we fail, and then we begin this pattern of, it's about relationship. That's why we call it be with Jesus, not me, because he wants to be with you. He wants, he's a good father, kind and compassionate. He wants to be with you. Amen. All right. So moving on. All right. So what's the second area we struggle with during Christmas that can steal our joy? So two, the value we place on possessions. Now this is the main point of the Grinch story. So it's an easy one to draw out. So here's a clip to help us kind of set this up. Isn't that awesome? I love that scene. It's a great example of ugly, ugly crying or uh, bitter weeping. So funny. So when people, so when the people of Whoville finally, they realize all their things have been taken and the Grinch has done it, and he, he sees it. He sees that they still have this joy anyways, and that's when he gets it. That's when it clicks, and the funny thing is that we all go through this. We all have moments, especially during Christmas or uh, Black Friday, which is kind of like the world's advent. You know, it begins that season when the pursuit of possessions or property gets between ourselves and other people, and between ourselves and our relationship with God. It begins to choke out our joy because our hearts are focused on things that will never satisfy. So now I'm not saying you shouldn't buy anyone a Christmas gift this year. 
Uh, but what I am saying is that in this area, we need to be discipled. And we need to learn from Jesus' examples and teaching. Now, there, there is a myriad of things about possessions and wealth and all that in the Bible. We don't have time. You could do a whole sermon series on just that. So today, we just want to take Jesus at his word, right? We're going to read something. And if he decided to put it in here, man, it's probably really important that we hear it. Amen? Okay. So Luke 12, 13 through 20 says, so Jesus is in a crowd of people and someone in the crowd says to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. <laughs> now if you, if you zoom in on that brother, his brother's probably right next to him. And he's like, I'm going to tell Jesus what you're doing. He's like, you wouldn't dare. And he's like, Jesus. You know, it's like, he's like tattling on his brother. And so Jesus has this great response. He says, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness or desire for other's things. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What does Jesus do there? You know, he never answers the question. He doesn't say you ought to give your inheritance to your brother or split it with him. But instead he speaks to the heart of both of them. He slows them down and speaks to the heart for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. It's so easy to fall into this trap in a place like America, right? In a place like Dallas, in a place where it's always shoved in your face. There's always something in, in the comparison that, that drives it all. And I think a good litmus test of our hearts is that, when, is that do we have joy? Do we walk in joy even when we lose our money and our possessions or our property is damaged? like a tree scraping the paint off your roof? Or is our joy stolen in those moments? And uh, a few months ago, quick story, Meredith goes over to uh, Mary Beth and Alex's house. Um, my wife, Meredith, she goes over to hang out with Mary Beth, just visit with her. So she goes over and our kids go upstairs in the room to play. Uh, Adelaide and Sunny, their, their daughter. And about 30 minutes in, they're downstairs talking. They go, it's really quiet up there. You know, maybe we should go check on what they're doing. So they go up there and Mary Beth opens her bedroom door and this is what she finds. That pink powdery substance, I believe is foundation or something like it. She got into Mary Beth's brand new set of makeup and y'all know makeup is kind of expensive. Brand new set of makeup and she got into there and they both got into there, not just my daughter. I'm just kidding. Uh, and this is what they did. And they decided this wasn't enough. And so they decorated the walls as well. It's lipstick, eyeliner. And then we actually apprehended one of the suspects at the scene. And here they are. We, that's my daughter. We had to strip her down because she was so full of makeup everywhere. And I put a, I put a virtual t-shirt on her to respect her dignity. And so... What, what, what amazed me, though, why do I tell you that story? I tell you that story because Alex and Mary Beth's reaction was just awesome. Like, probably two, three hundred, maybe more dollars worth of damage. I mean, bedspread, everything ruined. And obviously, we tried to help out with the cost and damage, do whatever we could. But it was like, their attitude was just, hey, it's all right. And if anything, they were focused more on help, helping our daughters to learn why not to do that. You know, in the moment, I was like, what have you done? You know, <laughs> but... You know, it's like their, their joy wasn't stolen by something like that. You know, and so what's our practice coming out of this? Very simple. What's our practice? Our practice is thankfulness. 
two possibilities for this year for you is to practice thankfulness, which will grow this in you, is to, during your time with God that we already mentioned, the abiding in Jesus, start a list of five things every morning and add five new things to it every day, things that you're thankful to God for. It can be his love for you, it could be your car, it could be whatever it may be, but just keep going, adding new things every day, and by the end, man, you're gonna have an amazing list of what, you're, of what God's done in your life and who he is to you, amen? Okay, second option is to initiate with your family this year. Right before you open presents, take five to 10 minutes to stop and to go, hey, let's all go around and share three things that we're thankful for, you know, before we, before the present madness. You know, let's focus our hearts on who God is and what he's done for us. And it's incredible when we begin to do that. You know, thankfulness or thanking God, it's like the fertilizer or the soil in our hearts. When we walk in thankfulness, this sense of gratefulness and richness begins to pour into our hearts. And our joy isn't so quickly stolen. Does that make sense? All right, y'all tracking with me? Okay. All right, I know it's getting late. So our desires and our expectations, our third point. So I had a clip for this one, but we don't have time. So I didn't include it because I didn't think we'd have time. So, uh, but that's okay because it was a bit of a stretch anyways to relate it to what I'm about to say. So... Uh, came into the house the other day, opened the fridge. Meredith had been sweet, and she had bought eggnog for our family. She told me, I was like, thanks, babe. She knows I like eggnog. Little nutmeg, it's great. So I opened the fridge to get it, and I see this five-letter word on the carton. Can any of you guess what the five-letter word is? Light. Light eggnog. Why? And I was like, honey, do you know that you... But light eggnog, obviously, she know or you know, it's right there in front of me, and she bought it. And she goes, she has a long pause, and she goes, "I knew that was going to come back to bite me because she knows she knows my opinion on light things and that they should not exist. They're only the only thing they're light on is light on taste and pleasure and joy and fun, and that's the only thing they're light on. So." Why do I tell you that story? Simple example to illustrate my expectations. Those were spoken, so she should have known. I'm just kidding. She was being very sweet and kind, but so unspoken or spoken expectations, man, if there's an underrated thing in our lives that causes more problems, I see married couples smiling around because they know and they understand under, they, they understand unspoken or even spoken unmet expectations. Golly, that's a, that's a problem maker. That'll stir the pot quicker than anything. And it may be when you're with your family this holiday. You know, there's certain people that you expect to clean up afterwards because they always do, right? You expect to get X amount of time and relax and have some you time or, you, or whatever that hint you've been dropping to your spouse to get you that one thing and then they didn't really get it. You know, whatever it is, our unmet expectations, and it puts us in this mindset or attitude of just expecting service. It expects things to go our way, and when they don't, the heart attitude and place we find ourselves in is just a place of constantly looking to be served. So we're going to learn from Jesus. Jesus, in, uh, in John 13, has this amazing passage. He, he stops, and he, and he goes to his disciples, and he, he takes off his outer garment and he puts on a towel and they're all sitting down around a table. He begins to wash their feet and he gets to Peter and Peter's like, Lord, you, will not, you won't wash me. Let me wash your feet. And Jesus is like, if I don't wash you, then you have no part in me. And Peter's like, there's this spot on my back I can't reach. You know, he's, or he doesn't say that, but he says, you know, in my head and my hands also. 
And then Jesus sits back down and he goes, what is it that I have done for you right here? He says, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you're right for so I am. If I then your Lord or teacher have washed your feet, then you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you, that, uh, that you also should do just as I have done to you. So what's the practice that I have for you here? Can anyone guess? Serve. You're like, please don't tell me to wash my mom's feet or whatever it is. No, the, the practice is to serve. It's to serve in some way. If you want to wash someone's feet, go for it. Be bold. Get yourself a little basin and a towel and go for it. But the, the practice here is to serve. So this Christmas, make a commitment to get up after dinner and do the dishes or to get up after presents and clean up all the wrapping paper. Nobody likes that job. All the little specks of wrapping paper everywhere. Or serve in some way at least twice a day to get up and to serve, to move. Do you know that when we, that's why in worship we put our hands up, we get on our knees because when we put our bodies in a, in a position, we make our bodies do things, sometimes our hearts and our minds follow suit. Does that make sense? So we're leading ourselves by doing practices, by serving, by doing the practical things. So, um, you know, Christmas is not about us. As I was thinking about this message, our, our possessions, our own agenda, or even our, our relaxation, the, the Advent season, the very meaning of Christmas, it means arrival or coming. And it's a celebration of the arrival of Jesus and what he's done for us. And you know, Advent and Christmas, they're not, they're not our holiday. You know, it's not my Christmas. It's not my vacation time only. They're meant to slow us down and reorient us reorient our hearts on Jesus and who he is and what he's done. And I'm not saying you can't enjoy Christmas or there can't be relaxation. Don't hear that and walk away and be like, Donnie's the Grinch. So, you know, in fact, I think, I think the true meaning of Christmas makes possible true relaxation and rest. When we're focused on Jesus, we know that we're washed clean and we're made perfect by his sacrifice on the cross. And when we're focused on him, man, and how amazing God's love is for us, then we can really be at peace. Does that make sense? We can really be at deep peace at that point when we realize that no matter what comes, no matter what circumstances, no matter what lies I hear, no matter what unmet or unexpected thing happens in my life, that I can be at peace because God loves me and he's got me. He's not going anywhere. That's the whole point, man. Christmas and Advent is meant, to, is meant to bring you hope and a surety on who Jesus is and what he's done for you. So this morning, if, if there's anything, if you feel anything, you feel any stirring or like, man, I really want to grow in this area. I want to like come forward and, and pray. I'd love to pray with you. We have our, we'll have our prayer team up here at the front. And so um, on Sunday mornings, we usually have people praying for us and they, and they give prophetic words. They'll give a word or they'll, they'll be, uh, they'll, they'll uh, receive a word and say, you know, this, this is kind of what I feel maybe the Lord's saying. Maybe this is for someone. So I have this here. It says, I see a picture of a field that is starting to decay because those who are called to work won't go. Life has taken precedence to calling. So if that speaks to you, amazing. would love to come, uh, uh, please come down and we'd love to pray for you. And so this morning, man, as we're going, you know the hymn, we sung it before. It's, oh, holy night. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Pining means to decay or to decline mentally or physically or spiritually. 
So it's long lay the world in sin and error, wasting away till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morning. Like that's incredible. That's reason to fall on your knees this morning. So I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna ask God to come and to do a work in our hearts. So Holy Spirit, would you come this morning God, would you come and work on each one of our hearts, Father? When we see the truth and when we know it, God, it's your working in our hearts, God, that molds our hearts and softens our hearts so that they become pliable, God, and that we have this humility that loves to receive and accept the truth of the gospel. So God, I pray this morning that you would do that, Jesus, that you would begin to work and mold and soften our hearts, God, so that we would receive more of your truth, God, and expel the lies uh, that, 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 that are not true of us, God, that you do not speak over us out of our heart and our minds. We love you, Jesus. We look forward to Thank you for your coming. Thank you for Christmas, God. Thank you for Advent. We love you, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen.